0: Now, in this room, I would imagine that growing up, we all had different ambitions, so maybe some people in this room grew up and they wanted to be in the military. Others possibly wanted to be teachers. Others still maybe wanted to work in healthcare. And many, of course, I know in this room have gone on to do these things they've had ambitions they've had dreams for my wife it was having lots of pets and then they've gone on and achieved what they wanted to achieve but one thing that I'm pretty sure that nobody in this room grew up as a child thinking or hoping is that when I grow up I want to be known as a hypocrite but at the same time I'm pretty sure that every single one of us would have to admit that at times we have acted hypocritically. We've said one thing, but we've done another. So, why do we sometimes do this, even though, even as children, we know how undesirable it is? Well, maybe in part it's because we rationalise our behaviours. We, we come up with obscure reasons for why we sometimes don't need to act in the way that keeps our own standards. But, ha- but I think perhaps more than this, that by standing in judgment of others, we are blinding ourselves to the truth of our own guilt. And Jesus himself said this a few chapters prior to the one that we're going to be looking at this morning. In Luke 6, 42, he said this, How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. And in this morning's passage, so we're back into Luke chapter 11. We're going to see Jesus challenging the Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes for their hypocrisy. And I think, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can read about the Pharisees and I read about their encounters with Jesus and we can kind of read it and we, we judge them for their, for their legalism. And we, we assume, well, I'm, I'm, I'm clearly not a Pharisee, so these sections of Scripture don't really apply to, to me, because I'm not like that. I, I, I don't worry about Jewish legal um, procedures, which actually is the greatest irony of all, because at times, as, as I think we'll all agree, we do, and, uh, we do act and we do think In in hypocritical ways. So actually, what we we can end up being is kind of guilty of being Pharisaical towards the Pharisees. I'm not sure Pharisaical is a word, but if it was, we can sometimes think in those ways. So this morning, as we open up the book of Luke and as Jesus unpacks what it is to be a hypocrite, let's do so with our eyes wide open to the fact that actually this may be what we need to hear for ourselves and being really honest with you being open with you as i've been preparing this sermon in in hearing what jesus has to say about hypocrisy god has really challenged my heart he's really highlighted in my own life areas of hypocrisy in in my heart attitudes and my motivations uh, in a greater extent than than I want to admit certainly in a greater extent than than i actually thought possible so my 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 prayer this morning is actually that we would see something of the truth of our own motivations and, and be assured i am preaching this to myself as much as i am to anyone else this morning more than that though actually as i've considered how i really am in my heart and i've considered who god really is actually What it has really done is it has highlighted to me how desperately in need of God's grace I am. And actually, that is what I'm really praying for this morning. Not only that we see maybe areas of our heart that are hidden to ourselves, but in doing so, we understand that actually we need God's grace. We need God's love, because without him, we will remain in that darkness. Okay, so let's begin by reading the passage. So if you could turn with me to Luke 11, uh, it's verses 37 to 54. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, But inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tie mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, "'Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also.' And he said, "'Woe to you, lawyers also, "'for you load people with burdens hard to bear, "'and you yourselves do not touch the burdens "'with one of your fingers. "'Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets "'whom your fathers killed, "'so you are witnesses and you consent "'to the deeds of your fathers, "'for they killed them and you build their tombs. "'Therefore, Also, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel Abel, to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation woe to you lawyers for you have taken away the key of knowledge you did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering as he went away from there the scribes and the pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say now this is quite the confrontation isn't it picture the scene Jesus has just been invited to dinner by one of the Pharisees. So the Pharisee's assumption is probably that Jesus will be grateful for such an invite. After all, up until this point, Jesus was mainly eating with tax collectors and sinners. I think this is only the second occasion in the book of Luke that we read of him being invited to a Pharisee's house. So, so maybe their view, the Pharisee's view, was, well, this is going to be an honor for Jesus to come and eat with us. But then Jesus acted in a way that the Pharisee wasn't expecting. He didn't perform the ritual washing that the Pharisees would have expected as part of the Judaic tradition, which, which, as we read here, it caused the Pharisee to be astonished. He was in a state of shock. And it doesn't actually tell us how he expressed his his astonishment, but wherever he did, it was clear enough for Jesus to respond in the strongest possible manner. Firstly, by calling the Pharisees fools, and then by pronouncing woes upon both the Pharisees and the lawyers or the scribes. And I think it's, it's fair to say that up until now, in the book of Luke, the tension between Jesus and the religious leaders had been bubbling under the surface. But here, I think, is the point where actually we see that it completely boils over. And Jesus, in his righteous, his completely righteous anger, he lays bare the truths about what these religious leaders were doing and about their hypocrisy in doing so. And of course, as we read here, the offense that he caused was so strong that as it says in verses 53 and 54, as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to, say, to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. So we're going to focus back on the passage now, and we're going to look at detail of exactly what it was that Jesus said that caused them such offence. And what we're going to see is there are seven accusations that Jesus says that the religious leaders are guilty of. So what we're going to do is we're going to work through each of these accusations one by one. So firstly, verses 39 to 41. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us alms those things which are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So the first thing that we see the Pharisees are guilty of is of focusing on the outside, focusing on appearing to worship God rather than genuinely worshiping him out of the overflow of their hearts. And in answer to the Pharisees' astonishment at Jesus not performing the ritual washing, he responds by pointing at the foolishness of their priorities. It's kind of like if I invited you over to my house for for a meal and I pulled out a bowl from the, the cupboard and on the outside it was, it was gleaming, it was kind of nicely decorated, it had some... Gold plating on it, you'd be asked, that's a really nice bowl. Looking forward to this meal. But then imagine your horror as you peek inside the bowl and it's filthy. I'm just about to kind of serve up the whatever meal it is that I've made for you. And all you can see is there's kind of something rotting over there, and there's maybe a maggot feasting on a delicious morsel in the middle, and, and there's last week's spaghetti bolognese on the other side of the bowl, I think all of a sudden the gleaming outside of the bowl would become completely irrelevant. You wouldn't care about that. The fact that the bowl looks nice on the outside would would be of no consequence whatsoever. You would be thinking, how do I get out of eating what he's just put into this bowl? Likewise, you can wash your hands and make yourself seem clean on the outside but it's of limited value it might stop a few germs from getting into your mouth but this is not a greatest malady in Matthew 15 verses 10 to 20 we see Jesus expanding on this and he called the people to him and said to them hear and understand it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person but what comes out of the mouth this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Now, I wanna be really clear, I'm not encouraging you to go against COVID guidelines. Continue to wash your hands. That is of some value, but that is not of ultimate value. And the fact that the Pharisees don't see this is why Jesus labels them as fools. Yes, they washed their hands before they ate. And yes, they, they, they were giving alms to charity, which, which is a, a, a good thing, of course. They were, they were giving to the poor. But unless our hearts are clean, unless our hearts are charitable, then we remain defiled. And if we remain defiled, then actually this isn't true worship of God. So we must question our own actions and our own motivations in this regard. Is it possible that we ourselves are more concerned with appearing to be upright and respected than actually following Jesus? When nobody is around us, what is our priority? Is it our inner holiness and our relationship with God? Or is it in finding comfort in something else? Where is your heart at when you give or when you serve others? Do you do it out of a sense of duty, maybe begrudgingly feeling uh, as though we're owed something? Or is it a genuine joy to be worshipping Jesus by using what he has given us in order to bring glory to him? For some, like I say, myself included, these are going to be some pretty difficult questions. But we must recognize the truth in order to see God's magnificent grace. Okay, continuing in the passage, we're going to read Luke eleven forty-two. 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb And neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Okay, so accusation number two is that the Pharisees were guilty of exchanging what was important with what was essential. Exchanging what was important with what was essential. Because we see here, the Pharisees were very careful to meet their legal demands of justice tithing right down to the smallest of plants and herbs they could not be faulted in this which of course was their aim to not be faulted hence this strict adherence to the law down to the minutest of details making sure that every jot every iota was accounted for so that they could be seen as being righteous but in doing so in tithing their mint and their herbs no doubt, exactly ten percent—not a—not a weight over. The Pharisees had missed out on the bigger picture of God's law, and as Jesus pointed out, they they diligently focused on the smallest of requirements whilst ignoring God's overarching desire for justice and love. This is tragic. All good gifts come from God. The tithe was never about God needing the kind of 10% from His people in order to keep His head above water. It was to help His people to recognize with thanksgiving what He had given to them and to remind them of their dependence upon Him. So yes tithing was commanded. Yes they were right to do so. But to tithe while neglecting the love and the justice of God is akin to a parent, sorry, akin to a child uh, that tidies their room perfectly but then speaks nothing but hateful words to their parents. Paul expands on this on his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 13, verses 3 to 7, he says this. If I give away all I have And to pray every day. And if we faithfully attend home group, and if we come here on a Saturday to church, or we we watch the live stream on a Friday or Saturday to church, if we do this faithfully, but we neglect love, and justice, maybe as demonstrated here in 1 Corinthians by being envious or boastful or arrogant or selfish or irritable or resentful, maybe a combination of those six things, then we too are likely to be guilty of what Jesus is accusing the Pharisees of. It's sobering. Okay, let's head back and read verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the uh, marketplaces. Okay, so here's the third accusations. The Pharisees were guilty of the fear of man. Because we see here that the Pharisees loved the privileges that came with their position. They wanted to be admired as men of God rather than actually be men of God. This is What Jesus is essentially saying is that they're guilty of of the approval from man rather than from God. They want people to be impressed by their status. They want people to be impressed by by who they are. They are man-pleasers, not God-pleasers. They are man-fearers and not God-fearers. And this, of course, can manifest in our own lives in a number of ways. Maybe for some, fear of man means that we never actually share the gospel because we don't want to be rejected for our beliefs. Or maybe actually we, we favour others that can give us status. So of those here that have jobs, a good question to ask yourself is do you invest as much energy in building relationships with people that are, are beneath you on the, the work hierarchy as you do with building relationships with those that are above you in that hierarchy? Or maybe you're guilty of providing selective updates to to your DNA groups or in your home group about how your spiritual life is doing. Maybe you talk of your your fantastic Bible reading exploits or or prayer from that week, but actually you neglect to mention that you've not really connected with your wife or or husband on, on any level for the last few weeks. Whatever it is, if we're more concerned about what other people think about us than we are about pleasing God, then we too, again, are guilty of the same hypocrisy that is causing Jesus to pronounce this woe upon the Pharisees. Okay, back to verse 44. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Okay, so number four, the Pharisees are guilty of teaching their hypocrisy to other people who are unaware of it. It tells us in the, book of, the books of Leviticus and, and Numbers that to touch a corpse would be to make yourself, um, as a Jewish person, ceremonially unclean. So what Jesus is saying here is that as unmarked graves, the Pharisees are like corpses, but those that come into contact with them don't know it. In other words, when people come into the contact with the Pharisees, they become unclean. They think that the Pharisees are leading them towards God, but in actual fact, they are leading him away from him and into judgment. And, and just like a disease, this hypocrisy is infecting others. People would come to them for help and for guidance, but instead were taught lies and deceit. Now, Given the Pharisees' uh, preoccupation with ceremonial cleanliness, this is a strong insult indeed. They would have really felt this. This would have been offensive. They themselves were deceived into believing that their legalistic uh, following of all their rules was their way of pleasing God. So to hear this would have certainly made them angry. Now, I think the culture that we live into live in now is, is clearly very different to that that the Pharisees were inhabiting so again it 's easy to think, well, this definitely doesn 't apply to me. I, I follow no Jewish rituals at all, nor do I tell anyone else to. but again, I think there are ways that this can show up in our lives if we in any way veer away from the truth of the gospel of grace. That is the good news that Jesus died and was raised to new life, saving us from our sins. If we veer away from that in our thinking, in our our actions, then we too run the risk of believing uh, for ourselves and our teaching uh, uh, to others lies that point people and ourselves away from Jesus. So what could this look like? Well, maybe... Deep down, we might believe that if we spend more time in prayer and more time reading our Bible and and helping others, then we're going to earn some credit with God. And and we'll know this to be true because when we do these things, we'll feel like a a kind of smug satisfaction with ourselves that we've we've achieved, we've ticked it off the list. Uh, and, and when we don't do them, we'll beat ourselves up for not having ticked all seven prayer prayer days off the list or or seven bible readings off the list and again to be really clear these are good things these are things that god has given us the ability to pray to him the ability to open the scriptures and hear his word these are fantastic gifts towards us but they are intended to be the fruit of our relationship as opposed to the root of it when we do them it should be in response to to Jesus' unmerited favor towards us. And because we want to experience more of him, because when we, when we open our word, when we worship him, when we, when we serve him in whatever way that we're serving him, we get to experience more of him. We get to experience more of his joy. We shouldn't be doing them in order to earn his favor. And if we think like this, then actually, naturally, we'll end up teaching other people this, even if unintentionally. So, so maybe for parents, the focus is with your children to, 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 to make them good and respectable in the eyes of others, so that they don't play up, rather than actually showing them who Jesus is and trying to teach them how to be more like him. Or maybe when we come into contact with new believers, we'll be, we'll be really keen to point out that, that they shouldn't use bad language as, as the first thing to tell them and they, they shouldn't um, smoke or whatever it is. We'll focus on behavioral traits rather than focusing first and foremost on who Jesus is and how amazing being in relationship with Him is. If we believe the Bible to be the inspired Word of God which is a central basis of Christianity, then actually our thinking shouldn't be like this because the the other danger of living in a tolerant culture is that we end up watering down the gospel. We water down the truths of what the Bible says and actually we teach things that make it seem more acceptable because there's all th- we've all got things in the Bible that we read and we think, It would be easier if that wasn't there and if we decide to selectively pick and choose what we tell people then actually we too can be guilty of this okay let's go back to the passage and read verses 45 and 46. one of the lawyers answered him teacher in saying these things you insult us also and he said woe to you lawyers also for you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers okay the fifth accusation that, that jesus makes of the religious leaders is of being guilty of setting uh unachievable standards and um, so one of the we read here that one of the other religious leaders one of the lawyers and and this is so he's an expert in mosaic law as opposed to a barrister or a kind of tort lawyer or something else um he, he spotted that what Jesus was saying applied to him as well and decided to pipe up and say, hang on, Jesus, you're insulting me too. Now, if I was him, I would have probably stayed quiet. But he chose not to. He decided to say, actually, Jesus, I'm, I'm in the same, same boat as the, as the Pharisees. And he chose not to evaluate his actions against what Jesus was saying, but rather he instantly rejected Jesus Jesus' words and actually tried to defend himself, causing Jesus then to start pronouncing woes against him and other lawyers, other scribes. And the first woe that we read is that they load people with uh, unmanageable burdens upon others and do nothing to support them. Now, this is the opposite of what we as church should be doing this is the opposite hopefully of what we experience here at grace church where we are heavily burdened we should be seeking to point each other towards jesus as we read in matthew 11 verses 28 to 30 Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' burden is light. We are to be encouraging each other in loving and serving and following him. We shouldn't be placing unrealistic expectations upon each other so an example perhaps how this could could kind of show itself up in our lives you may be particularly passionate about a particular ministry area so you get hugely frustrated by others who don't share in your passion but maybe actually they're called to share and serve in a different way or it, 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 maybe you 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 feel upset, and I, I think probably everybody has experienced this. But you, you've you've shared something with somebody, um, something personal, and you've you've wanted them to help you with your burden. But actually, they've not supported you in the way that you had hoped. Maybe they they've not kind of supported you or called you as often as you'd hoped, or or maybe it just it, you just didn't get back from them what what you thought you might. Actually we shouldn't be putting those expectations on others. Of course, we should be seeking to serve each other in those ways, but we need to show grace and forgiveness towards each other because actually we've all got our own struggles. Of course, I want to be really clear again, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't speak the truth in love to our brothers and sisters. So if we see a brother or sister that is, is walking in a way that is not following Jesus, Uh, but I think this is the key, they're not following Jesus as they should, then we should speak to them out of love with the desire for them to prosper in Jesus. Any other motivation, if it's for our own personal gain, particularly, then like the lawyers, we're guilty of laying unnecessary burdens on other believers. Okay, just two woes to go. Uh, So, Let's read verses 47 to 51. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Now, I'm going to be really honest. I struggled to think up of a way uh, to, to summarize this. So if this doesn't quite work, accept my apologies, but hopefully I'll explain it a little bit better. So here I've said that they are guilty of talking the talk, but not walking the walk. So what do I mean when I say that? Well, here Jesus is accusing the religious leaders of seeing the sin in in, in those that came before them, in seeing the sin in others, but not recognizing the sin in their own hearts. So they would build tombs in honor of the prophets who had been killed by their forefathers, as if to suggest that if they were their forefathers, they wouldn't have killed the prophets. But as Jesus prophetically points out, it is these very religious leaders that would put to death the apostles. Indeed, it was these very religious leaders that would put Jesus himself to death. Now, as readers of this word here and now, again, it's easy to for us to believe that we would not behave so despicably. It's easy to think that we would neither put to death the Old Testament prophets, nor would we put to death Jesus and his disciples. But the truth is, apart from Jesus' salvation, we'd be wrong. We read this in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them without God's grace given freely to us we are dead in our sins we are unable to do what is right the only reason that we are not with the pharisees in opposing jesus is because in his mercy he loved us whilst we were still dead in our sins and he changed us and he saved us not by our merits but as a gift his forgiveness towards us is phenomenal the reality is as well is that in one sense we did actually put Jesus on the cross because on the cross Jesus paid for our sins. Of course it was his will, but it was our sins. So we are in that sense without Jesus, we would be as guilty of killing the apostles and Jesus and killing the prophets before him as the Pharisees were here. So let's not be guilty of seeing the sin in others, but neglecting to realize it is only by His grace that that, that we are made right with Him. Okay, the final woe. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So number seven, Jesus is effectively saying that the lawyers, the scribes, are guilty of doing the work of Satan in pointing people away from Jesus. And this final woe, I think it kind of sums up everything that has come before it. In their blind hypocrisy, what they've done is they've not only not seen the truth of who Jesus is, but actually they have hindered others from doing also. As I've said... In other words, they've done the work of Satan. Now, this really does underline how serious hypocrisy is. And this is why it's so important that we recognize it in ourselves. So, if, like me, you can see in your heart a proneness toward acting in this way, the obvious question we must ask ourselves is how then do we respond? Well, let's remind ourselves firstly of how the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes, the lawyers, how they responded in verses 53 and 54. And let's do the opposite. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Now, the Pharisees had a choice. They could choose humility and respond by asking Jesus what they must do to turn from their sin what they must do to turn from their hypocrisy they could that, that was that was one option or or they could choose pride and reject jesus 's message which of course as we read here is what they did and they remained enemies of God when we are faced with our own sin when we are faced with hypocrisy, whatever our sin is when we are faced with it we have the same choice so i urge you this morning if you are harboring sin and hypocrisy do not respond in pride by covering up and denying it instead bring it to jesus repent turn your back on it and then again or or maybe even for the first time see how great his love see how great his grace see how great his mercy towards us is that even though our sin would put him on the cross He would forgive us. This has blown me away this week. As I consider my own sin. As I consider my own hypocrisy. In my life. To know that he not only forgives me. But he also completely cleanses me of sin. He makes me righteous in his sight. It brings me to my knees in worship. Sorry. So let's worship him let's offer him all of our words let's offer him all of our actions let's offer him all of our thoughts and let's offer him all of our voices let's offer Jesus our whole lives because he is truly worthy let's pray Lord Jesus I thank you that even though I am a sinner by nature you have made me well Lord Jesus that you went to the cross for us Lord Lord so that we could come before the Father, so that we could be known as righteous in your sight. We have done nothing to deserve this, but you have poured your grace out freely upon us. Lord Jesus, help us to live lives that bring you glory, to live lives that worship you. Help us, Lord, to continually become more like you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.